Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. Now I'm Rob Olson. The book that we're going to be talking about this episode is Vultures by Chuck Wendig, the final book in the Miriam Black series. And that's, I'm, I'm guessing, final. Like, he, he said there's not going to be more, but who knows, like, six years from now, he might be like, there's more story to be told or something like if it gets picked up by TV or something. This this episode marks, um, you know, kind of a special and, and maybe sad moment, too, Rob. Yeah. We will no longer be like the podcast arm of the Wendig Empire. <laughs> we really have been throwing serious coverage on the Miriam Black and then other books as well. Yeah, a couple others, but Miriam Black, holy crap, man, six books. Six books. Yeah. That's crazy. How many times have I said we should never do? We should never do a sequel. It's like every every day. Yeah, almost every day. This is one of the reasons. But we are doing this one, and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it's going to be good, and there's going to be spoiler talk. But uh, let's get some of the formalities out of the way. Here's a bio for Chuck Wendig, for anybody who hasn't listened to the, the last 431 episodes of our podcast. Chuck Wendig is the New York Times best-selling author... And that's the thing. When we first started talking to him, he wasn't a New York Times bestselling author yet, but now he is, and that's awesome. So bestselling author of Star Wars Aftermath, as well as the Miriam Black thrillers, the Atlanta Burns books, and the Heartland YA series alongside... Oh, see, my phone just thinks Siri wants... Hi there, Rob. Calm down, Siri. A little sidetrack there. Sorry about that. Alongside other works across comics, games, film, and more. A finalist for the John W. Campbell Award for the Best New Writer... And the co-writer of the Emmy-nominated digital narrative, Collapsis, he is also known for his popular blog, TerribleMinds.com, and his books about writing. He lives in Pennsylvania with his family. Sorry for the ADD nature of that, that <laughs> reading. I didn't think Siri was going inter- to interfere. Hey, what could you have even said to get her to... Never mind, I don't want to know. Siri's. Oh, yeah, I guess. We'll, we'll see how many times I can get you to say that this episode. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, Wendig, not too busy a guy at all, huh? Kind of slacking oh, off when man. you that bio. Just, um, but you're right. We knew we knew Chuck way back when uh, Miriam Black won, which was maybe his second or third book. I don't know. Well, but yeah, yeah and he was much more known for like um, working in gaming and and I think mo- like writing scripts and stuff back then. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, video games and stuff. Here is the synopsis, which. Again, if you haven't read the other five books, none of this is going to make any sense. So um, skip forward half an hour so you can hear non-Miriam non, uh, Black stuff. Still reeling from the events of the Raptor and the Wren, Miriam must confront two terrifying discoveries. The Trespasser now has the power to inhabit the living as well as the dead, and Miriam is pregnant. Miriam knows her baby is fit to die, but Miriam is the fate breaker. And if... The rules have changed for her nemesis. Her own powers are changing as well. Miriam will do whatever it takes to break her curse and save her child. But as Miriam once again finds herself on the hunt for a serial killer and in need of an elusive psychic, she can feel the threads of her past coming together and the pattern they're forming is deadly. To end the trespasser's influence in her world, Miriam must face her demon a final time, and this time one of them must die. Vultures is a heart-pounding conclusion to the series. Uh, 
All right. As you're reading the synopsis, it occurred to me that anybody who hasn't read the other books, like you said before, might be a little bit lost because the synopsis definitely assumes that you've been reading the series all along. So um, I think there are just a couple of things maybe that we could we could touch on. So just Miriam Black in general, when she touches you, she sees how you die. So she knows the date. She knows like the, you know, she can kind of see like a little mini film of what's going to go down. And that's been her curse throughout the, you know, the this now six books that we've gone through. Um, and throughout that entire time, she's been uh, interacting with what she calls the trespasser, which is basically like however you want to describe it. In the later parts of the books, it's described kind of as like a possessing demon almost who is trying to get Miriam to do things um, seemingly uh, is tied in, interwoven with fate, but maybe a little more self-serving than um, originally she might have thought. And now she's knocked up. Yeah, she's uh, what did they say in that? Did you watch the movie Juno? No. Oh, anyway, surprise you at all. (laughs) Juno had all that like Diablo Cody, like slick slang kind of stuff. And she said, I am for shiz up the spout. So there you go. She is for shiz up the spout. There you go. Um, Yeah, we pick (laughs) up shortly after the events of the last book, the Raptor and the Wren um, in in true um, Chuck Wendig slash Miriam Black fashion, I guess. Um, you know, we see a thing that happens and then we like kind of see the thing that leads up to it. Right. So we kick off with uh, with Miriam on the road in the back of an ambulance um, under police custody after uh, all the involvement out in the desert where people ended up dead. Yeah. So after the 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 last book ended with the big reveal that she figured out she was pregnant and that the baby was going to die. But she ended up in police custody, and now she's like pretty much immediately dealing with that that situation. And um, that the custody thing very quickly falls apart as um, the trespasser shows up, um, occupying the bodies of the police person that has the has her in custody, and then also at one point the ambulance driver because they're taking her to um, the hospital for injuries. I think she got shot like in the armpit or something weird like that. Mm-hmm. She had an injury to her armpit. Uh, and the trespasser who traditionally could only kind of manifest to Miriam um, in the people in her life who had died um, possesses these two different people at different points, causing them to kill themselves. And she goes free. Um, and now she's on the run Um trying to figure out how she's going to protect herself and try and change the fate of her baby like it says in the synopsis she pretty uh quickly um meets back up with gabby who was her friend slash kind of lover yeah in in the previous book i was gonna say kind of girlfriend but um, i'm not sure if that's quite the right label for her um and the two um, are approached pretty quickly by an FBI agent who has been following Miriam Black's workings uh, for the uh, for a while. I guess we don't know exactly how long, but for quite some time. Um, trick is, he's got a little group that he's put together, and they are all people with special abilities, not unlike Miriam herself. Yeah, so this is kind of the launching point for the new story. Like, the very beginning of the book was just, how do we reconcile... Um, 
like everything that happened at the end of the book into the beginning of a three part act kind of story. And so, um, and, and now he, he's, rec- he wants to recruit her to help find a serial killer mentioned the synopsis. Um, and in exchange for that, because she's a, a fugitive and be like expected of not expected, suspected of killing people and all types of crimes and stuff like that. The basic idea is, the the clean slate of your past in exchange for you helped me catch this serial killer. Um, and so uh, if we know anything about Miriam over the course of the, these books, she's not the type of person to um, ever handle authority well. So it's kind of iffy whether she's going to be able to work under the circumstances that they want her to to help find this uh, serial killer. Yeah, and then what follows is a, a touching story of motherhood while looking for a serial killer. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, um, there's not a ton we could talk about in plot for, for this book. Um, but yeah, I mean, we spend a lot of time with uh, with Miriam dealing with her feelings about this, uh, not just the, the pregnancy itself, um, the possibility of being a mother. But, you know, we've said it before, because of her ability um, she feels that the that her baby is going to die. So you've kind of got this back and forth. She doesn't really want to be pregnant. She doesn't really want a baby. Um, but then, you know, she's worried about having a baby and what type of parent she'll be. And, oh, yeah, the baby's likely going to die because Miriam's visions, to explain for anybody who doesn't um, isn't familiar with the story, her visions always come true with the exception of if she can kill the person. So if it's a murder. So, for example, uh, if Miriam saw Rob's death at, uh, at the hands of, uh, we'll say, another podcaster. <laughs> if but that podcaster you, was killed. Not, no, we're just an un, un, undefined podcaster. Uh, if that podcaster was killed prior to that, Rob would live. But if Rob dies of alcohol poisoning... Um, uh-huh. There is nobody to to be stopped from killing him. So then that that becomes uh, unchangeable. Right. That becomes fate. So um, she knows that nobody kills this baby. So she she you know she doesn't know um, she doesn't think that the baby will survive. Right. So, um, yeah. Plot wise, the only other thing I would say is that. Um, there's a little bit of a carrot and a stick um, for for Miriam with this whole FBI guy, Scooby gang, serial killer thing in as much as um, he says he knows a medium that can, that could try to help her figure out how to save her baby. And so he's not going to give her that information until he catches this serial killer. And so that's why she's kind of begrudgingly um, considering helping him out. Um, And then, they all lived happily ever after. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, something, yeah, no, not exactly. But yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's very standard Miriam Black fair. And that's not to say that I'm, I know it sounds like I'm saying that like it's, you know, like like it's a, a poor review. But, um, you know, it, it follows in line with the rest of them. There is a um, an antagonist. Um, that is not the trespasser. There's the trespasser who's a separate antagonist. And it's Miriam's, you know, journey to, to try and defeat um, another antagonist, only that we know this is the end. So, you know, we're, we're kind of led to believe, and you should be led to believe, that um, there's going to be some type of showdown with the trespasser and that something will be resolved or not. But end of the series pending, there's definitely a little bit more of uh, stakes 
higher yeah. stakes going into the end of this book. Yeah. And so the one of the things that I, I appreciated about this story was how it incorporated things from earlier stories. And so like throughout the series, that's been that's been something that's like things kind of surface from the past at regular intervals because there's Lewis from the first book who kind of he wasn't present through the entire arc of these books, but um, he popped back up on a regular basis and was a pretty significant character throughout um, the Caldecott family, which was the the bad bad guys in um, Black No Mockingbird, mm-hmm. and then kind of leading into uh, uh, Cormorant. That's the third book, Cormorant. Yeah, I believe so. Yep. Yeah. Um, so this book follows the tradition of, of it's an ongoing story and things from the past resurface and in interesting ways and stuff like that. So, um, I enjoyed how, uh, characters from previous books and, and, and I'd say even consequences of earlier actions kind of presented themselves in this. And even as in, in the defeat of, um, one of the big antagonists in the Raptor and the Wren, what she does to stop to stop that that person um, manifests as 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 an interesting change to like an evolution of of Miriam's powers in this book, which I thought was very good. Without spoiling anything in this book, when we first met Miriam, she could uh, she could like experience somebody's death, kind of see it through their eyes, and she mm-hmm. knows the the date and the time. Um, to, to flat out in the last book, she could. Um, control like a like a a whole group of birds at one time so i mean we've already seen a progression of of her of her abilities um and more so um in this one as well and it's mentioned you know right in the synopsis too that that the trespasser um also and we talked about it you know went from just manifesting as pretty much whoever it wanted but it always tried to affect miriam with its presence on on who it was to um, now being able to control those people and, and maybe even farther throughout the course of this book. Yep. And then the other thing is the evolution of Miriam herself, I think takes a, a, an interesting new, new turn in this book. Um, she's always been the super negative hates everybody, um, angry type of loner person throughout the series who in her interactions with the people, um, that aren't her enemies, like the the people that she's picked up along the way, like Lewis and, and Gabby, um, has to confront the fact that like there are people in the world that are good, or like at least good for her, and um, especially considering she's um, mourning the loss of loved ones from the past, and and dealing with the fact that she's going to be a mother. Um, there's a lot more of an emotional arc I feel in this one where. Uh, even down to like the way that she reacts to like in conversation, she's trying to be better about not being kind of a psycho. Um, <laughs> but then also surprising herself by her feelings being different than they traditionally would too. So there's definitely a pretty significant emotional um, evolution of the character of Miriam Black in this book. Um yeah, I, the thing about Miriam as a character is that she's um, an enjoyable character to read. But fuck, man, like Lewis, and, and you know, I'm going to say this, no no matter how badly, he, he dodged a bullet by not dodging a bullet. <laughs> wow, good one. Because who the fuck seriously wants to be in a relationship with Miriam Black? Yeah, she's but, beyond yeah. difficult. 
she's fucking really unbalanced, yeah. you know? So like I said, as much as we like her as our, as our spunky foul mouth protagonist, like this is not a likable person. This isn't someone you want to fucking be friends with, let alone like be involved with um, in a relationship, or at least that's, that's you know, my take on it. Definitely uh, a high maintenance person. And, and that's the thing, like, I can't think of an exact correlation in my life, but there she's the type of person that like her personality is 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 hard to deal with but then you see what she's been through and you're like i at least get why but at the same time it's like you you still have the option to to kind of nope out of it like be like this is not for me so i feel like the people who do choose to because gabby stubbornly sticks with with miriam in this book when she could have walked away over and over again that's someone who just sees beyond the like the trouble I, I don't know yeah that was that was like you're saying not many people would stick around a person like that but um gabby refuses to to go away yeah that's um that's pretty much it man that's kind of a little bit short for uh for a review we are gonna do some spoiler talk on this yeah. though I'm, I'm sure right um yes yeah there's definitely going to be some i i would say that the majority of our discussion of here's the thing about this particular spoiler talk we're going to be talking about when we're going to be spoiling this book but we're probably going to dig into we got six books worth of stuff to talk about so i think that we might have some um serious feelings as well as as spoiler feelings if you are a Patreon subscriber, there will be spoiler talk available for this um, episode of Booked. Um, if you're not, $1 a month is all it takes. You get spoiler talk um, and uh, our eternal gratitude. Well, at least for as long as you're a patron, I guess. Eternal is probably pretty strong. For those of you that dropped out, we were totally <laughs> grateful when you were patrons. Um, now we still think you're okay. We're just nowhere near as grateful. But uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash booked. Um, and we're going to go do that right now. Okay, we are back from a very good spoiler talk. And I think one of the benefits of spoiler talk, this is half me selling it to you so you give us money on Patreon, and half just, like, reality. Uh, it really helps us kind of calcify our, our opinions on the book because there's things that we talked about there that once we kind of either either just thinking or talking about them or hearing what someone else said about them, kind of helps you understand, like have a better understanding of the book. And so um, real good conversation about this book and a little bit about the, the series overall. So definitely go check that out. If you're, if you're currently contributing to Patreon, if not patreon.com slash booked dollar a month, at least, I mean, you can give us $90 a month if you want to, that seems a little excessive, but uh, we're not going to say no to that. Nobody, nobody should go over $75 a month, Rob. Yeah. I'll say it. Okay. I'll just go ahead and say it. So, so. we, <laughs> Yeah, don't don't you dare try and go to seventy six dollars someone. Correct. Hey, um, you know the other thing that happens in spoiler talk. I've been, I've been thinking about this the last couple times we've done it is that there's so many times that you can't address in your wrap up what it is you really liked. Like you have to be really generic. Yep. Um, or what you didn't like. Rob and I talked about a part that that um, you know ultimately was okay or whatever, but that you know I was really poised to hate, and it's not something <laughs> I could ever talk about here. So, but let's just say that that really threw me off on this book, and I said, "Hey, you know, I like Miriam Black the story, but some stuff happened. I'm giving it two stars." It would seem really, you know, um, short or or whatever, right? Because we spent a lot of time talking about the book, and then I don't talk about the thing that I hated. Mm -hmm. um, not the case here, but. 
I, I think a lot of times that's my justification for things happens over there because I can't do it here. Yeah, that makes sense. Like you have to um, substantiate your claim, um, but you can't do that when you're not when you're trying to not spoil the book. Right. So <laughs> one thing I want to talk about, which I thought which I really like um, when this happens in a book, and that's the learning something that's totally not part of the book. So there's a character in here who just really likes for things to be called by their proper name. Mm-hmm. Did you know the difference between champagne and things that look a lot like champagne before reading this book. You mean like sparkling wines and stuff? Well, Prosecco and there's some other ones. Like I yeah, didn't yeah. know, but yeah, because I always thought like Prosecco tastes just like champagne. I don't get the difference. Mm-hmm. You know, sparkling wine taste. I did not know that. Also, tea. That was pretty surprising too. Yeah. That the only real tea is essentially chamomile tea. And everything else is a whatever different type of herbal teas. Yeah. 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 Uh, that I was not aware of. But, uh, but it, it was interesting. A, yeah, I, I like that kind of stuff. And, and again, it had absolutely nothing to do with the book. But I was like, oh, well, here's a nice little tidbit I picked up that isn't mm-hmm. about seeing someone's death or fucking spiritual demons possessing bodies. I was like, this is some nice real world stuff thrown into the middle. Yeah, one of the, yeah, because it had no impact on any part of the book whatsoever. It was characterization more than anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was it was interesting. I like that. I, I became a bigger fan of that character. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, do you want to wrap this up? Yeah, let's do it. I um, I'll go first. Six goddamn books, man. We reviewed here on Miriam Black. Um, so I'm gonna do. I'm only gonna do a review for this one, but I'm gonna kind of encompass my general feelings on all of them. Um, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Uh, I'm glad it's over. I think that. Um, that uh, Chuck ended it at the right time. I, I said over in spoiler talk, maybe one book too many. Um, but thank God for not uh, going on and on and on where this is 12 or 13 books where you just have to keep introducing more of what happened in this book, which was kind of like in the last book to a certain extent, but like upping the game, more powers, more um, characters with abilities. Cause that's the only way to maintain this kind of series, or at least that's what typically maintains this kind of series until long after it should have been put to bed. Not just series like this. The Burke series by Andrew Vax um, went on a little too long, and that was just like introducing new people from the criminal element that had a specialty that they could help with, you know, to the point where it got the cast was was uh, just too big to care about, um, to, to be honest, in that series. So I'm glad that he put it down um, when he did. Overall, Miriam Black is a very enjoyable, if annoying at times, character. Um, and the story wraps itself up really, really well in, uh, in my opinion. Um, I enjoyed this one. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> the first one I think is the, the best. And then much like series like this, you know, the other ones are, are uh, good or equally good. I will put this uh, probably at an equally good, um, as, as the previous books and overall my feelings on it, it'd be like 4.25 stars. All right. Um, yeah. So I'm going to do my best to make this a vultures, wrap up and not a Miriam black series of six books wrap up. Um, I, I think that Livius really nails it with like the, once you get this far into a series and I'm sure Chuck Wendig was, was very aware of this. Um, the gimmick begins to overtake the plot or the story or the, the, the storytelling. And there's really no way to reconcile Like, 
like a good storyteller will know how to rein that in, but still like stakes have to be raised at some point. Um, but I think Chuck all along has been just telling the story of, of a person who's trying to get through like a series of extraordinary difficulties. And, and so it's always been very character driven about Miriam in general. And so, yeah, the series needed to kind of chill out at some point. And I think this was the right. Did you hear that? So heard it. So I said series again and it's, and it, yeah. yeah, that was my home pod from the other room. That was my speaker talking to me, not, not my phone this time. Uh, I totally lost my thread. That's okay. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, it, it was never uh, as much a series of, you know, psychic, death and craziness and serial killers as it was like the, the, the trials and tribulations of, of Miriam black. And so the trajectory of the craziness was pacing to overcome the storytelling. Um, but that being said with all of the craziness that happens with like, um, possessing birds and, and, and all that kind of stuff in Raptor and the Wren, that really ramps up big time. But in this book, I feel like he dialed it back a lot and it was the right choice because there was so much more personal stakes on a individual human basis. Those were the higher stakes than, than the crazy, you know, there's a woman who can't be killed kind of enemy that we have to fight. And now I'm going to possess birds to try and help save the day thing. Like he dialed that back. I would say a lot in this book and it was the right thing to do. Overall, I feel like, and this is something we talked about in Spoiler Talk, so if you feel like this is kind of a logical leap, it's because we talked about it uh, uh, over there instead of here. There are a lot of twists in, in, this, in this book and in this story that were so smartly written that if he had done them in a different way or had been a little bit lazier about it, I would have been very disappointed in poor storytelling, but he wrote things very intelligently he it's obvious that the story really mattered to him did a great job of writing the story he made miriam so much more miriam and he kind of brought her to uh, a very satisfying conclusion without spoiling anything um and so her story wraps up nicely to my to my mind um i feel like he handled the fact that supernatural shit was getting out of control and really focus more on on a on a people kind of story this time, and it was great. I, th- I think he did a great job of wrapping up the series, and I'm going to give this four point five stars because I have to give it a higher rating than Livius. That's fair. You gave it a much longer wrap up, man. Holy shit, that might be the there longest wrap up yeah. you've given a book. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I feel like it, it was like I've never written six books in a series, but. Um, you and I are both very, you know, acutely aware of, of what the, the downfall of a series is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that he handled it well. And I, and it's obvious that he planned it. Yep. So he needed credit for that. Hey, one thing that I didn't mention, um, during the synopsis was this, this, and, and again, I, I feel like Chuck probably has complete creative control over, over this process, but what's this shit with the fate breaker? <laughs> There's a very different term used for for that in the book, which would make no sense in the in the synopsis. Yeah. Wait. Wait. What was the term in the book? River breaker. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just kind of, which I get it. Like in a synopsis, 
like, ah, I don't know, because I don't know how I feel about this. Who's going to pick this up? And, and you know, it, it says still reeling from the events of the Raptor and the Wren. So you're like, oh, well, shit, this isn't the first book. Mm-hmm. So you figure the people who are reading the synopsis maybe are familiar with, you know, the River Breaker terminology. But probably not. I don't, it was just it was just really weird. Well, the so. word fate shows up earlier in that sentence. So it. it thematically makes sense for yeah. the actual like what's what the, what it's saying and if no no yeah. no i know it was just yeah. i hear you i'm with you on it but um overall good job chuck like uh i'm <laughs> do you remember how we decided to to read the first book i don't know it was the runner-up for novel of the year for the this is horror award and you were just like oh you yeah. were just like we should read other books on this list than the one that won because i think it was stephen graham jones one and so we're like, oh, runner up, let's check that out. And that's how we read the first book. And then immediately the second book and then interviewed Chuck. And then when the third book came out, so it was very, very fast. But that's how, yeah, had you not said that, maybe we never would have read these. That's true. It's very true. Yeah. All right. Well, Chuck Wendig, it's been fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to be, I... be honest with you, Dan. <laughs> We may have to skip a couple Wendig books. <laughs> I gotta say though, like I feel that um, there is uh, uh, talking about like adaptations and stuff like this. That that was um, it was it was in development as a TV series and it got kind of shelved. And I feel timing has a lot to do with it because like in the kind of Netflix world that the last like year or two has been, I feel like Wendig's story, like the Miriam Black story, would have had a much better home. Um, in the in the kind of climate of of TV series that's going on now than it did maybe three or four years ago when it was being developed. For sure, and totally makeable into a TV series because yeah. even if you didn't buy into the the supernatural element of it as much, um, you could if you cast the right Miriam Black, you'd have something that's fun to watch. Oh yeah, from a character standpoint, and not necessarily because of all the witchy psychic happenings or whatever like you wouldn't even have to market it that way it would be a smarter uh, well until until production company got a hold of it right i was gonna say it'd be a smarter (laughs) little lower key especially those first couple of books um but as we talked about as as the series um draws to an end it does become bigger and bigger with morphing abilities and stuff turning into that kind of Mm -hmm that kind of thing so hey before i forget i wanted to mention um one thing i discovered from the after no i'm sorry the acknowledgements in the vultures book we just finished reviewing i knew that there was a miriam black novella in a book called three slices mm-hmm. that um that was uh it was chuck wendig had a miriam black story in there and then there was kevin hearn and leela bowen um and there's another book same authors um three novellas called death and honey that's got a Miriam Black story that I did not know about. So guess what's going on my to-be-read list? There you go. Because you read Three Slices, I believe, right? I did. Yeah. 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 Oh, I think it was released January 28th of this year. So that might be why. Oh, yeah. That's very, very recently. Okay. Um, isn't one of those, is it the woman author there that also wrote the Star Wars books with him? Uh, why do I feel Ke- like no, we talked about Kevin that? Hearn. Or maybe it was him. Yeah. Wrote the... the 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 luke skywalker book that we reviewed that's what it was do you yeah. remember that <laughs> yeah, oh god yeah air yeah. to the air of the jet i don't know air something yeah, yeah. air ball air ball of the yeah. yeah 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember there was something where it was like two of the people in there were writing Star Wars, like Disney approved Star Wars books. Oh, and so just for anybody who might be interested, the one, the story death in Death and Honey uh, features Ren um, unable to escape her life as a hunter of serial killers. So it's not about Miriam at all. Interesting. I mean, Ren, I said we were done with this goddamn thing. Ren, um, <laughs> Ren was an interestingly underused character, I think. Yep, so I she agree. gets, yeah, in the Raptor and the Ren, she's, um, you know, the the one that's that basically Miriam's getting blamed for the shit that she's doing, and then you know, yep. like like that's a that's a character that should have been fleshed out better, and and hopefully that novella, um, does yeah. that. I'm I'm definitely checking that out. Can I uh, can I give a mini review? On a on a book I read. Oh, um, after reading this, you mean you read? You, you, cause you, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, so I basically almost read two books since reading this. I was on uh, on vacation, and uh, vacation consisted of um, having my own little like terrace outside of the hotel room, um, which was nice to kind of sit down and I, I did what I said I was going to do a few episodes ago, uh, and and I don't know if I said it on the actual podcast, but uh, we had Les Edgerton on. He had said the stranger was uh, maybe the best book he'd ever read by Albert Camus. And I kind of hemmed and hawed and said, I feel like maybe I read that, but I didn't read it. And then you had chimed in and during our conversation said it was a great book. Um, I read The Stranger. Yeah. Uh, I think that yeah. his, I think he said it was the best uh, in the craft of writing. Yes. Yes. Um, Man, I hate to, I hate to be the guy. Because I know this book is what... I don't get it. Like I got the book. I read the book. The book was fine. It was it was a good book. I I don't understand the the like the hype around it. I guess it is really what it comes down to. Here's my here's my review of the stranger. If Holden Caulfield um, was in his like late twenties, he would be that character in the stranger. Yeah. Like that's what yeah. I felt it was like the adult Holden Caulfield book. Um. So I, I enjoyed it. I'm not unhappy that I read it, but I think that I, I went into it with a uh, an expectation, yeah, of of uh, of greatness, and, and not just because of lesser or what you said, but I mean I know it's one of those books that's always mentioned as like a classic. Mm-hmm. And uh, although I enjoyed it, I don't quite get its classic status. Let's see if we can get. Uh, maybe that's what we'll hit. Next time we hit up Liz Edgerson, we'll have him talk a little bit about why he thinks it's uh, the special deal that it is. Oh, believe me, if we ever get him on again, I have questions. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you didn't like when with the end of the book, the way it ended, you didn't get like really worked up about shit. Um, I mean, I like I sympathize with the character, although how do I say this? He's an unsympathetic character, like by design, yeah. right? Because yeah. he just doesn't care about anything so like i got what he was going through and 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 i, I could get in his head um but i, I don't i mean like i said it, i'm not saying it was bad i'm not saying that at all i didn't give it a rating <laughs> if i had to give it a rating it would probably be like three and a half stars that's just off the top of my head without giving it any thought at all okay um but you know i mean there are other classics are like so we just read the three musketeers yeah. right and Three Musketeers lives up to the goddamn hype. Like that's, you know what I mean. And this one, this one just didn't for me. And I'm not saying it wasn't good. It just, I don't know. I don't know what my expectation was. It was definitely not adult Holden Caulfield, though. So, what was the other book that you said you almost finished reading? Was it like a palate cleanser kind of thing? 
<laughs> yeah, well, all right. So I, I I thought I might have a little more time um, to, to read. I wound up reading um, the majority of it on the plane. I'm two-thirds of the way through. I should probably get the actual name. It's uh, Bubba and the Cosmic Bloodsuckers. Does this sound at all familiar to you, Rob? No, but it sounds like a palate cleanser. Yeah, so it is uh, by Joe Lansdale, and it is the prequel to Bubba Hotep. Ah. Which is why I read it, Bubba Hotep, a, a movie that I loved and a, and a short story, I guess, novella that I, I really enjoyed that we reviewed here on, a, on a, what did we do that for? It was a, I feel like it was a holiday. It was a holiday episode. episode. Was it our last yeah. Halloween one or? It might have been. Whatever Maybe. it was. You know, I, I really enjoyed that too. Um, two thirds of the way in and, and I, you know, I'm probably going to finish it cause it's not super long, but man, there is not the magic of Bubba Hotep in this one. Wow. At all. At all. All right. So you're just talking about what you read on the plane, which means you were flying, which means you went somewhere. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> so astute listeners of podcasts will be not <laughs> at all surprised that I was in New Orleans um, for, for a few days. Um, I let's say they're super relaxing um, New Orleans vacation. We wound up, uh, I stepped out of my comfort zone. So for the last however many trips we've been staying at one particular hotel, um, this time I like caught a good deal and I was like, oh, we're going to try this other hotel. Um, th- this is the thing that, that you should learn. If you find a hotel you like, never, never chance going to another hotel. Like stick with what you know. That's my <laughs> that's my pointer on this one. This hotel was uh, was a little on the shabby side. Um, old, old converted, you know, cause so you may, I may or may not know this. There are a lot of like protected buildings in the, in the French quarter. Like you can't like tear historical them down. buildings. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you wind up with, um, you know, this used to be a mansion or a slave quarters or, or whatever it was that's been converted into a hotel. I don't know what the backstory of this place is, but I think the last updates were done. Um, probably around the time that it was referred to as a mansion because it was it was in uh, significant disrepair oh no so although it had a wonderful courtyard with i mean it was too cold for a pool not that i'm a pool guy but there was a pool and a wonderful courtyard and most of the rooms had like a like a shared porch balcony with like chairs out there and stuff that was the best amenity at that hotel and that's where i read um the stranger um which is really nice the rest of it was a dump but overall um, good time in New Orleans. Um, mostly good weather. Um, like it rained every single morning, but like not that hmm. much, not at all, almost during the day. So, um, yeah, it was a good time. It was a trip one to New Orleans of this year. I was very happy to receive the customary photo of you uh, drinking from a like a neon green grenade, like uh, in the morning. A tropical alien grenade, correct? Yeah. Um, gotta say the camera on your phone is really good. Like the picture you sent me, um, it looks like you're standing in front of like a modern castle or something, or like a, I don't know, it's got uh, spires and stuff. Yeah. That was likely, um, the St. Louis cathedral. Okay. I don't remember. I listen, I'd already had two by the time I sent you that picture. <laughs> so, um, it was a little harder to remember. You know, I'll tell you, there's there's still a significant amount of construction. I may have mentioned this um, like a year ago or two years ago when they started the construction. Um, part of the problem was um, because of the construction, places were all um, like opening later. And I was very, very concerned that I would not even. So I went to all, all four Tropical Isle bars <laughs> and all of them were closed. And like uh-huh. not with a sign that says they were up. I like looked on their Facebook, like says they're open now. Like they open at like 10 o'clock every day or whatever. And it's like 1130 and none of them are opened. 
so I was really worried about <laughs> my my ability to get drunk on uh, on New Orleans hand grenades. But I, I overcame adversity and was able to do so. Hey, good for you. Um, was there all right? So I, I saw, and I think the timing lines up. You were down there when the the Super Bowl was going on, right? Correct. Yes. Was there there was like some sort of un Super Bowl thing yeah, or something? So, um, yeah, we we weren't necessarily around for that, but I, I started thinking that was going to happen because on the day of the Super Bowl, you know, like in the morning, it's just tons of people wearing their 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 you know football jerseys for a team that is not going to participate in the Super Bowl. While well, I'm talking to <laughs> to people and overhearing things and stuff, yeah, there was basically a Super Bowl protest that um, that occurred. Um, for anybody who's not familiar with football, meaning I'm going to explain this to Rob. Thank you. There was a very controversial call in the the final playoff game um, that the New Orleans Saints would have advanced to the Super Bowl. The call. Mm, there it, it is. Nobody, nobody is arguing that it was a good call after reviewing it. You know what I mean? It's like one of those, and it quite literally cost them the game. Um, so New Orleans decided that they weren't. I was sitting at a restaurant where there was a sign in the window that said, that in, you know, in solidarity with the guys, so much to explain. Hudat Nation, W H O space D A T, which is apparently <laughs> something Saints players say. I'm guessing it started with one player and became a thing. Yeah. Um, that they would not be showing the Super Bowl. Like there was a sign posted in their window. Wow. All right. Um, the day after the Super Bowl, the one of the big newspapers down there actually posted. Oh, I saw this. Yeah, the, yeah. the blank page, and it just like said what Super Bowl? Big, big big game? What game or whatever? Yeah, 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 and a completely blank page. So yeah, New Orleans not happy at all with uh with the NFL right now. Well, so which team was it? The the Patriots that uh w- that would have lost that game, or was it the other team that was playing the of? Uh... I believe it was the Rams. Okay, so they would have lost. They would. Uh, they would have been up against the Patriots. Correct. Yes. I, I almost said they would have lost, but I don't fucking care. Uh, yeah. So the Rams won by three points. I have not watched because you know my level of of caring for for sports, yeah. right? But but apparently, from what I've heard, like nobody that watches that, like that's it. The game would have. Yeah. You know, so they gone yeah. to the Super Bowl. That's messed up. So, yeah, I guess that's the thing now. Like, bad calls, and we just have to live with it. Yeah. What can you do? <laughs> this is funny. So I pulled up to, to make sure I was right on the Rams. And uh, this is fucking hilarious. This isn't hilarious. This is super sad, okay? Um, a, a police officer passed away apparently on the 3rd of February, okay. which would have been the that day was... of the Super Bowl. Yep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it says Henry A. Wame. Uh, I don't know. J-A-U-M-E. Um, age 65, passed away on Sunday, February 3rd, 2019 at 1 p.m., determined not to watch Super Bowl oh, 53. He was a native of New Orleans, blah, blah, blah. in his fucking eulogy. So, yeah, these people are pretty serious about this shit. Wow. Well, you know what? If you knew you were going out, like, why not go out with a little, having a little fun? Yeah. yeah. I will say that um, I was actually happy they didn't win because this, this trip was booked um, before the games, you know what I mean. So like oh, a month so you ago. Would have been, yeah. Oh my God, I, I can only imagine what it would have been like. Um, although you know it wasn't played in New Orleans. I mean, the turnout for of, of oh yeah, it, it just would have been one of those ridiculous days where you decide to like stay at the hotel bar, you know, instead of venture totally. out to the streets if they were playing. 
No kidding. Wow. Well, uh, you've had more adventure than I have since the last episode, for sure. I've just been sitting around chilling. I did. Uh, uh, I did go look for places Les Edgerton might have slept when he was homeless in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, I have to imagine that um, most of the clubs and stuff, or you know, whatever, don't exist anymore from when he when from when he wrote or from when he when he was living it. Yeah. Probably, and um, I don't know how much of the, how many of those were like really in the French Quarter where I was staying anyway. I mean, gotcha. New Orleans is a sizable city, and I spend my time in like sixteen square blocks. So true, true that. Well, I'm glad it sounds like you had a little relaxing time. I am all geared up to go to France later this year. Man, you got you're just jet setting. Fucking a right. So hey, at Patreon, I, will tell you, I paid I paid for the nice seats on the way back on the plane. Oh, money well spent, man. Patreon money well spent. Yeah, dude, no. <laughs> I wish. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about? They have the seats up at the front that are bigger yeah. and like mm-hmm. more padded. Oh, man, that is so nice. It's going to be hard not to do that every time now. The only time I ever did that was the one time I flew Spirit because, mm-hmm. like, um, Spirit, like, basically, like, you pay nothing and then they charge you for every single goddamn thing you could think of like if you want like better you know like whatever like you have to pay for everything like you want a seat belt it's ten dollars more like it's that's that's the thing with spirit but like that it's not even first class but it's just like the front of the plane where there's two seats instead of three was like 80 bucks extra on mm-hmm. one f- on my flight home from somewhere mm-hmm. and i was like 80 bucks bring it on and it was like the most luxurious shit ever but that's the closest i've ever actually flew first class on a united flight one time as well but that was like like a lifetime ago um you've never flown internationally have you yes okay have you ever the first class seats on international what they look like now uh no i have not so you you should google this they're um they're like posted diagonally and you get a seat where you could essentially almost lay down you might be able to lay all the way down like you've definitely got a footrest and a reclining seat with like a TV that's like right in front of your face. It yeah. looks pretty crazy, but yeah, I mean, I, oh, I'm looking now. Yeah, I just searched. I just searched first class international, and I see what you're saying. Yeah, holy shit, Not man. Bad. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the cost though, <laughs> you don't understand. It's like it's five thousands times of dollars, the cost yeah. of like your actual flight, which is already like eight hundred bucks. So, so I flew international one time, and it was. Um, I can't remember what plane it was, but the, the seating, I was in regular, you know, poor people seating. And so it was two seats, an aisle, three seats, another aisle, and then two more seats. Mm-hmm. And I was, so that means, I don't know if you did mentally picture this, <laughs> there's exactly one fucking seat in any given mm-hmm. row that's not a window or an aisle seat. Yep. That's the fucking seat I was in. Yeah. For 12 hours. Yeah, I uh, the trick to that is when we flew back from Europe, we were coming back on a double decker plane. Ah, uh, nice. Well, and and this is the thing: there was no so any of those seats that were in you know coach or economy or whatever it's called, there was no cost to like change your seats. So I, I quickly took decided just to see what the top level of the plane was. Yeah. So the one we flew in was um, three, three, and three. Okay. So there's middle seats in each row. Uh, wherever you're at in each row, you know what I mean? Right. Um, but if you went upstairs, all the window seats were just two seats, which when you're traveling with one other person is really nice. Cause yeah, you have your good. own like little row. Yeah. 
Um, and again, for people who just weren't quick enough on the trigger, I was able to very easily change my seats to that from what originally was was given to us, which was, you know, whatever, like the middle middle seat and a aisle seat, you know, somewhere. So, yeah, good job. So if you're ever on a double decker, definitely check the second level of the plane for better seating. I feel like we're going to be flying private jets soon enough. Right. And then there'll still be a middle seat, though. Like, you oh, know, shit. If we have a private jet, it's going to be like an economy <laughs> private jet. So there's still going to be a middle seat. So. It's going to be like they put wings on a mega bus. Oh, my God, dude. They're, they're so, uh, yeah. <laughs> flying flying is, uh, is not comfortable if you're trying to be economical. I saw a meme on Reddit recently that was, uh, it was just like a screenshot of someone's tweet. Cause that's how memes are these days. And, um, it said just something along the lines of like Midwest people are Midwest people be like, why fly? It's only a 16 hour drive. And I feel like that's totally me. <laughs> that's, that is very true. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I wonder like if you paid. So, um, the seats on the plane I was on were three and three, one middle aisle. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you took out one seat, Everybody would have to pay 50% more. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 50% yeah. more, but they would all be like that front seat. I'm oh, thinking, man. Yeah. I'm thinking most people would be okay with that. If, if they, if they, yeah, if they did that through the whole plane and just doubled all the fares, I would totally do it. Well, it wouldn't be double. That's what I'm saying. It'd only be 50% more. I know, but I would still. Oh, you still at doubling the fares. I if that you. was the yeah. premium that that would yeah. make them make that decision, yeah. you know, the biggest fucking insult is, like, you know that you're getting to the gate well in advance of boarding the plane, right? And they have all those seats at the gate, mm -hmm. and the seats are fucking massive at the gate, <laughs> and it's just like it's like they're taunting you. They're like, "This is the life you could live if we just made you carry your seat in from the gate into the plane." Uh, but no, we're gonna put you in a fucking claustrophobic nightmare yeah it's funny i looked at the breakdown ticket i don't have it um handy but like the breakdown for the ticket it's like what you wind up paying in taxes and and fuel surcharges or like your ticket's only 25 bucks <laughs> that's like 200 plus dollars in like other shit yeah so anyway i don't yeah. know how we got to to fucking critiquing the airline the industry. airline industry yeah there <laughs> but, you go uh, <laughs> um, next week we're going to be doing something weird i guess so new, something new who thought after almost eight years of doing this we could come up with a new idea that's correct what did i call this this is the swinging for the old married couple <laughs> so deck a couple episodes ago he said it's about doing something new yep that's exactly what it is and so yeah that's uh well we were gonna um we were gonna go back to wheel of meat because we didn't have a, a book that we we've got books lined up but just nothing that lines up release wise with with uh next week and livius was like wheel of meat question mark and i was like uh okay rob burned so many fucking calories thinking about a way not to do the wheel of meat yeah Rob's I, down I, eight I, pounds. I thought of it eight pounds just based on not trying to do the wheel yeah. of meat anxiety i was in like just like a fucking cold bathtub shivering and trying to figure out what to do I still, I still had clothes on. You don't have to worry about picturing anything weird. Um, I, th I thought of something, and Livius was was okay with it. And uh, we're not going to beat around the bush anymore. We're going to read a movie novelization. 
Yes, we are. Um, <laughs> I don't have any of this pulled up. I know it's called The Nice Guys. I know it's one of Rob's favorite movies. I have not seen the movie, so I am not only going to read this book, but watch the movie. In um, Not in that order. I'm going to read the book, then I'm going to watch the movie. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I figure that, you know, you've got it the other way around. So and, and two I perspectives. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So this is, I feel like, regardless of how the actual like review goes, because I'm, I'm a little hesitant, um, there's such dis- like rich discussion around the idea of movie novelizations that the episode is going to be interesting no matter what. So that's all I'm going to say about that, because I have lots of thoughts about the no- ideal of novelizations. But um, yeah, so this is a novelization of the, I think it's a 2016 or 17 uh, movie, Nice Guys, uh, written and directed by Shane Black. Um, people may know Shane Black from movies like the Lethal Weapon movies and Predator and um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and a ton of other stuff. And expect there to be some conversation about a movie called Beneath the Silver Lake, too, next week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, one thing we didn't cover and we should because of the timeliness of it. This AJ Flynn or AJ Finn thing, um, mm. and even if we go a little long, I feel like from now on when we review a book by somebody who's like a bigger author, we should do the thing that like news sources are doing now, where like we try to get a hold of their college yearbook, like see what kind of dirt we can find on it, because we didn't know any of this shit about this guy, and I'm guessing it was all out there originally. Yeah, and we just didn't. Um... We didn't dig into it at all. So this is so we reviewed The Woman in the Window, which is written by A.J. Finn. Um, and that was what, a few months back, probably. Yeah. Sometime um, last year. It was a book that was sent to us by the publisher. Um, and it just seemed like, oh, this looks interesting. Let's check it out. Um, and that's how we read it. Uh, but now you have the story up, Livius. There's some there's some news coming out mm-hmm. that A.J. Finn is a, a pen name. For, for someone who uh, maybe has been up to some shit. I'm going to give this to you the way that I best understand it without doing 45 minutes on this, right? So this is news because there is a second book coming out. I think that's the only reason this hit the 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 news cycle. Um, so Dan Mallory um, is the the actual name of A.J. Finn, the pen name of the author of Woman in, Woman, Woman in the Window. God, I don't know why that's so difficult to say. Here's what I gather. The short version is he put a couple books out on auction back in 2016 um, under the pen name and did not reveal his actual name until bidding reached $750,000. The reason for that is that he previously worked in the publishing industry, and apparently he had lied repeatedly about illnesses like brain cancer. So... The second that people found out it was him, because apparently people in the industry knew this just from him being in the publishing industry, um, they were like, oh, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that. Well, lo and behold, uh, you know, the Harper Collins did buy the books and now is going to put out the second book, which, you know, what, fuck, man, they spent over $750,000. I would hope that they put out, you know, whatever they got out of this guy. I just wonder if this is going to make news really outside of publishing. Um, you know, this guy didn't dupe Oprah. Right. So I don't think it's going to be like front page news, 
you know, when his new book hits, the guy who lied about cancer and stuff is still publishing books or, or whatever. I feel like this might be something that's localized more to the industry and won't hit the people who actually will pick this up in an airport bookstore for, you know, list price. Yeah. I kind of have the same feeling like no one's really going to care. Um, the only way that it would really hit mainstream news is if a novel or uh, I see I'm, my mind still on novelizations, like a, a film adaptation, like became a big success. And then they, you know, uh, the, the author of the book became, you know, started to get some notoriety a la Josh Mallerman bird box type of thing. Uh, what I will say is it's just, <laughs> I think that the story would pretty much die a natural death soon afterward anyway because it's a little murky because he has he he is um he's bipolar and um basically was blaming the bipolar on his impulses to lie about having things like brain cancer and stuff like that so i don't think that there's like a clear good guy bad guy kind of way you could paint him in this it's just kind of muddy and um kind of a little like sad yeah, like well, in a way that the news cycle can't take advantage of. <laughs> well, he also told acquaintances that his mother was sick or dead or dying. Um, this goes all the way back to like his college admissions. One of the reasons I said other than stuff in the news today about, you know, tracking down someone's yeah. like high school yearbook to try to find out dirt on him. Um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, it, again, like, do you want to reward somebody who does that? I don't know. Like, I mean, no, you shouldn't. Right. But. I liked Woman in the Window. Yeah, like, I'm say, totally if, down for reading another <laughs> book by this guy. If if he wants to be, you know, like oh, like weird about what he says about his life, but I still enjoy the story, doesn't mean the story wasn't good, you know, like to a degree. Like we got the weird rapists and pedophiles of the past, like H.P. Lovecraft, like being a huge racist and stuff. There's a there's a line where you can't you know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. this is this is pretty tame tame shit when it comes to scandal in the book industry i'd say i am going to read this is something i don't say very often the vox article (laughs) on him because it's really um it's really got some more insight and it's pretty lengthy so if you want um if you want some some insight into this i just one of the authors that mallory represents at william morrow appears to have inserted mallory into one of his books as a villain the Character is charming, flattering, and tells everyone he's dying of a disease he doesn't have. Later, he poses as his <laughs> brother Blake, as in rhymes with Jake. She also appears to have hired a private detective to investigate Mallory. So it looks like there might be a lot more um, to this. Um, so yeah, go to go to Vox.com and uh, and check out this article uh, called "The Profile of Publishing's Biggest Scam Artist." So uh, wow. yeah. So at any rate. Maybe we'll have him on. Maybe, you know, yeah. we'll also talk to him. Maybe he'll talk to us after his next book comes out uh, next year. There we go. I'll, I'll do it. I'll talk to anybody. Eh, I won't talk to anybody, but I'll talk to that dude. <sighs> All right. Um, so we've got what's next, the nice guys, the book and the movie. Um, we know what's coming after that, but we'll keep that under our hats for now. Um, there's an interview coming up later this month. We've got lots of cool stuff planned. Yeah, the next few months promise some good stuff. Um, Some from people that we really like, some from people that are new to us. So very exciting. Until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.